good to have you guys here. Welcome. You're welcome. Welcome to everybody watching us online. I'm excited to have you guys here. This is a special time. I, I don't know if you can sense it, but I can definitely sense it that, that God is doing something special in the nation, that God is doing something special in our midst. Um, if you guys haven't been hearing about revivals popping up Amen. all over the country, um, it's happening. And, you know, for me, long story short, uh, I feel like God has just been showing me that there's an opportunity to step into the flow of what he's doing, into the flow of what he's doing. And sometimes we can get off track from that. Our, our focus can get off of what it's supposed to be on. And honestly, I think that that is the primary battle we fight in life is for our focus, where we're going to put our attention, what we're going to look at, what we're going to put our eyes on, what we're going to move towards. And I know that there is a war for that. There's a war going on for your focus. There's a war going on for your focus, not just because uh, there are elemental and spiritual forces that just want to get your attention, but in fact, there's a, there's a greater reality than the one that we are in. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I think that it says it in that order for a reason, because I believe he created the heavens and the earth. And I believe he created a lot of what we do not see before he created what we do see. And what we do not see is impacting what we do see in a very powerful way. And because of that, there's a war going on. There's a war going on, and you and I are the focus of that war. Where we're going to put our attention, where we're going to give ourselves and I know that throughout my life, I didn't always see things this way. I've been thinking about it. I've, I've been really introspective lately because we have an eight-month-old son. And just watching him develop has been a really powerful thing for me. Just watching how he's growing and how he's changing and what he puts his focus on has been really enlightening for me. And one of the things that he's been doing lately, it's, it's really kind of a new thing, but now that he's starting to eat solid foods, he, he wants like affirmation for when he's eating. And if you'll encourage him, because he's kind of a picky eater, but if you'll encourage him, then he'll do what he's, what he's being encouraged to do. And I've noticed that he has a tendency to specifically look at me. And his eyes will just be locked on me. And, and a lot of times we found, like, he'll eat if we're eating. And so if we want him to eat, because it's like, all right, man, you've been playing. You need to eat. You need food. I'll eat. And then he'll eat. So my wife will have the spoon to his mouth. If I put food in my mouth, then he'll put food in his mouth. And if I go, oh, good job, good job, he'll be like, and then he'll keep eating. And it's been, it's just been fascinating to me because, you know, his, his focus could be anywhere. His desire could be anywhere. He could want anything, but he wants 
to be loved. It's ultimately what he wants. He wants the attention, the affection, the affirmation of his father and his mother as well. He, he lights up when he sees her. So I know she's watching this right now like, it's not just you, it's also me. <laughs> he lights up when she walks in the room. He doesn't get excited for anyone as much as he gets excited about her. But when he's eating, he's looking at dad for whatever reason. And it's just been making me think a lot about myself. You know, because you get throughout years and you go into adulthood and you just do stuff. And sometimes you don't even realize why you do the things you do. You don't even realize why you like the things you like, why you want the things that you want. And it's really been causing me to look internally as I'm looking at a baby just naturally develop, naturally go through human life and human development. And inevitably, I have to see the illustration here of what's happening on earth as it is in heaven and how the natural reality of a child needing relationship with his father is inevitably a reflection of the spiritual reality that all of us as children of God need the love, the affirmation, the affection, the attention, the good job of our Father in heaven. And I've found, as I'm looking throughout my life, I didn't realize it before, but I realized that throughout my entire journey, I've been looking for love. And you have too. And it's not because I didn't have love. It's not because you never had love. It's because it's woven into you that you are inevitably looking for love, and you're looking for a love that is greater than just what is available in your human relationships, but your desire for love is also greatly impacting how you're navigating your human relationships. And I know inevitably that I cannot be everything that Noah needs, and that he's looking for love from me and from his mother, but if he only gets it from us, It's not going to be enough. That he's inevitably going to look for it outside of us because there's something in him that desires more. And there's something in you that desires more. I was talking to a friend a few weeks ago when I was preaching the first message, and we were just kind of talking through some of the ideas and some of the things that God was stirring in our hearts. And he pointed out uh, along this along the lines of this concept that, man, Adam fell asleep. He didn't know why he was going to sleep. God said, it's not good for the man to be alone, and he put Adam to sleep. And Adam didn't know why he was going to sleep. And and while he sleep, God takes a rib from him and forms woman. Says, I'm forming her as a helper for the man. And Adam wakes up. And he doesn't really totally know what's happened, but he knows something's missing. And he wasn't conscious during the surgery that was taking place that removed something essential from him. But he woke up, and there's something that was inside of him, that was innate to him, that's now outside of him. 
And I believe that inevitably, he's, he would search for that thing. He had the gift of God presenting Eve to him. But then we see Adam and Eve fall, and we see them get exiled from the Garden of Eden, and then we see the, the trajectory of human relationship with God just going downhill, sin enters, and corrupts, and then I believe that a lot of us end up walking around with something missing, not knowing where to find it. Because in the garden, Adam had God to just present it to him. Here is where I placed the void that you feel. But you and I, we don't always get that luxury right away. And so we'll walk around with a rib missing, with a void in our hearts, not always knowing it's a void, but having a craving. We'll walk around wanting relationship and not even always knowing why, not always having a healthy concept of even what relationship is. And I've found that for me, as I've been really contemplating, looking over my life, I've been having to assess Man, why have I done the things that I've done? Why did I used to think the way that I used to think? How did I end up where I am? And I feel like God has been kind of unpacking it for me because I'm not typically a guy who really examines the past. I'm just not wired that way. I don't think about the past a lot naturally. I'm always thinking about the future. So much so that I forget the past really easily. I don't know if anybody else is like that, but... I will forget a ton of stuff. Like, if we went to high school together, I, like, unless we were, like, close, close, I have no idea where I know you from. It's just, whether it's high school, college, like, I will forget the past so easily. That's because I'm always focused on the future. But lately, I feel like God has been stirring in me to actually examine my past, actually look through like, no, this actually matters. This is valuable. You need to examine what has taken place. And so as we're in a series talking about relationships, I've been having to take an honest look at how, how relationship has developed in my life, and, and specifically romantic relationships, how my perspective on romantic relationships has developed. And so you got to go way back. Because if you can think of when was your first crush, it was like early on, wasn't it? Early on. Some of y'all are like, I was two. <laughs> I remember. But inevitably, this desire, something was stirring in you. There's this desire for relationship really early on. And I don't know if we always realize just how much, like how deep this well is of relationship in our lives. And so we get into conversations about relationships. And a lot of us will be talking about what's most popular to talk about at the present time. But we're not thinking about how these ideas have developed and, and really where we've come from. And so I look back at elementary school. 
and I had crushes. Why? What were they based on? What were my standards? I, I don't know. It was just kind of like whatever I felt at the time. I didn't have a high bar. I didn't even know what I wanted. You're in elementary school with, with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It's like, what are y'all doing? Where is this going? And we don't even realize that we got trained to do that. To just get involved in stuff and have no reason for it. No idea where it's going. But we're satisfying a feeling, a craving that we even have as a child. You want attention. You want to be liked. You want the person you like to like you. Why? You're eight. (laughs) What are you going to do with this relationship? Seriously, where is it going? And then you fast forward to middle school where you really feel like you're grown. You really feel like an adult. You're making adult decisions. You know better than the adults. You know better than your parents. And you're exposed to things like you're an adult, but you're not an adult. And you can't make decisions like an adult, but sometimes you're making adult decisions. Middle school, drugs, sex, in middle school, surrounded with this. And you don't have the the capacity to really critically think about what's going on a lot of times. And you're not necessarily always equipped at that age to really address what you're dealing with. Because inevitably, a lot of times, like, the adults didn't know really what was going on at that age. But all these types of opinions and desires were being formed. And I remember in seventh grade, I got cheated on. (laughs) And I didn't even know what that meant. I actually did not know what happened, but I remember there was a girl that I was dating, meaning we messaged each other a lot, (laughs) and we wrote notes to each other. She would write me handwritten notes. Don't, don't, oh, no, 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 no. That's the problem. Y'all think that's cute. It was toxic. It was a toxic relationship. What were we doing? And then I get notified. This is seventh grade. Somebody tells me she cheated on me with some guy named Doug at a party. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it even meant. Did she give him a note? Did they kiss? I don't, I don't know. I didn't have the capacity to really critically think, to even ask, what does that mean? But I felt the pain. And inevitably, inevitably, that marked me a little bit. It marked me a little bit. 
your first breakup. It marks you a little bit. <laughs> it marks you, right? And sometimes you don't realize that you're 10 years later, 20 years later, 40 years later, still reacting to what happened when you don't even know what happened. And then you fast forward to high school, and it's a, it's a zoo. It's a zoo. It's a free-for-all. I'm just exposed because I grew up in a Christian household. My parents were solid. My friends were not. I'm going to just be real. They were not. And they lived different lives. But high school was a zoo. And all we were wanting to do was get in relationships. Again, why? Where is it going? What are we doing? We're just entertaining each other. And then, inevitably, for, for, for many people, it, it started a lot earlier. But in high school, especially, this focus on sex really heightened. And then you're really young and you're surrounded by really adult decisions being made by really childish children. And you're faced with a dilemma. What am I doing? What am I trying to become? Who am I? And you're not necessarily asking the question in that way, but that's the question that you're asking. And you got this tug, and early on, you feel a stronger sense of right and wrong. Inevitably, it's built into us. You feel a stronger sense of right and wrong. Whether it's when you're a child, middle school, high school, I don't know at what point for you it lessened. I don't know at what point it, it numbed, but you felt a sense of right and wrong at, at some point stronger than you do now. And inevitably, you were faced with these decisions with social pressure, and you had to make decisions that were answering that craving that you had inside, not even knowing why you had the craving or what it was for, but you're being presented with these different options. Do I hang with these people? Do I change who I am? Do I change what I do? Do I change my convictions? What are my convictions? Do I infringe what I'm trying to do on other people? Do I try to pull them into the stuff I have going on? Inevitably, whatever camp you were in, you were faced with some challenges and some decisions you had to make. I remember... I was thinking about this recently. I can remember uh, as a teenager, as a virgin, being like, I remember like offers to take my virginity that were just happening that felt like normal because it's the stuff that everybody's talking about. But when I look back at it, like, that wasn't normal. Like, that's not okay. Like, you're a kid. You're not able to make 
these adult decisions, you don't even know what is all happening. And I can look back and see that was a demonic attack against me. And I didn't know that there was a war going on for my soul being presented as opportunities and offers and decisions and desensitization. And I remember that there was a no for a while until there wasn't a no. And now I can look back and say, that was demonic. There was an agenda against me forming that I did not even know. And I would say it was the same for you, regardless of how your story went. Your story may be different than mine. But at some point, you started experiencing a strategy against you. And the most dangerous thing that can happen to us is for us to totally give in to the strategy that was against us and it become who we are. And this is where a lot of us find ourselves. And so then we're presented with biblical ideas and it seems like nonsense, like foolishness because we've become so, like these things have become so ingrained in us. The decisions we made, the desires we had, the the vows we made internally, the people that hurt us, how we responded. Can you think of a time that you got hurt early on? Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. Maybe you don't think about it often. Some of you guys, you, you don't even, you've built up such a wall that to even admit that it hurts you is a threat to the wall you've put up. I know it because I've done it. And I didn't realize that I had done it. I just felt like I was good. Things just worked out for me. They didn't. I actually had a lot of stuff to work through and didn't really realize it. But hurt hurts. And how we respond to it deeply affects us and impacts us. But I want to tell you that no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, and no matter what's been done to you, I can guarantee you that along this journey, you have been looking for love. And maybe you've been chasing something else, not knowing what you're looking for. For me, what it turned into was after a while, I started just chasing pride. And I didn't realize it. I just felt like I was trying to, like, make something of myself. And inevitably, like, in the back of my mind, what I knew I was doing was, was actually trying to prove everyone wrong and, and, and get back at everybody who had ever hurt me, but I would have never said that because it's not even how I was necessarily processing it because that's what pride does. Pride deceives you. And you think you're doing certain things for one reason, 
and is actually a totally different reason. And you think you're the most confident person in the world, and you're actually operating purely from insecurity. And a great test for that is look at the things in your life that make you confident. What in your life makes you feel confident? And how can it be taken away? And if it's taken away, how confident will you feel? And I feel like there's been like a peeling back of the layers of my heart, of my mind, of my life over the past few years that God has been showing me these different things that I've allowed to give me confidence that, that don't matter, that just don't matter. And so I was sharing with the guys last week just the male ego, and a lot of what ends up happening to us is, is we run into a crossroad of following Christ's way, which is death to our ego, or following our way, which is life to our ego. And we can build our whole lives on our ego and be chasing that while we're really looking for love. And love is only found in the one who created us. But then we get deceived. Like we can't even see how we would be fulfilled down this road because we've become so immersed, so deceived by the appeal and the allure of this road and what it is offering to us. And we're looking for this missing rib that's over here, but we're running down this road. And we're chasing and we're chasing and we're chasing. And so for me, it was all types of different stuff, whether it was girls, whether it was getting involved in like boxing and all this stuff to just have my ego. It was like nobody could beat me up, all this stuff. Literally, like I wouldn't have said that. I would have told you that I enjoyed the discipline and the learning. <laughs> and the endorphins from the exercise. And the fun in the community at the gym. But there was a there was something a few layers down that didn't want to be vulnerable in any way. Emotionally, physically, I don't, I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want there to be any weakness in my life. And so I was chasing what I thought would fulfill me, which was a lack of vulnerability. But lacking vulnerability doesn't fulfill you. If anything, you just end up getting hardened and more calloused. And not only do you not feel as much pain, but you don't feel as much pleasure. You don't feel as much joy. And then I'm wondering why I don't get excited about anything. And then running into disappointment and not wanting to feel vulnerable in that. And so still not allowing myself to be vulnerable. So I don't get excited. I don't get all that happy, but I don't get all that sad. And I remember being told that as, as guys, a lot of times we will... Our, like our emotions are like these levers and we just want to take like sadness down. But inevitably, as we take one down, like all of them come down. And we try to just lower one and we end up lowering them all. And it's where I found myself not even realizing that I was lost at a certain point. 
but looking for love. And so it makes sense why in Ephesians, we started in chapter 5 a few weeks ago, but I want to take us back because I, I, just reading back through the letter of Ephesians, Paul was writing a letter to the church in Ephesus, and he explained to them some of the most important things that he wanted them to know. He really explained the gospel and everything that Jesus has done for the church. He, he starts off by saying, blessed be our God and Father, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has chosen us and blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the earth that we would be holy and blameless before him. And that's how he starts off. And then he goes through explaining how how Jesus paid for our debts. He paid for every sin. How how Jesus, his sacrifice, it, it covered the cost for us to just be saved by grace through faith that Jesus, after he was killed, he was also resurrected and he was praying that the church would understand and know the hope that we have, would know the riches of the inheritance that God has given us and that we would understand the immeasurable greatness of the power God has toward us who believe. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the throne of God far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion, every spiritual authority in the heavenly realms was subjected under the feet of Jesus. And the church became the body of Jesus Christ. He says that he's done all this. He's, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but he's brought us to life so that he could show us the riches of his grace and kindness in the ages to come, that God is doing stuff now. He was doing stuff thousands of years ago, thinking about ages to come, thinking about eternity, thinking about when heaven and earth pass away, but we're still here and he keeps us going. And then he's actually able to show us the real riches of his grace and his kindness once he's gotten done with all the sin and all the darkness and everything that tried to keep us away from him. He's dealt with it and he points us forward. And then in Ephesians 3, he says a prayer, verses 14 through 19. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He prays that God would strengthen the church, that we would be strengthened with power in our inner being through his spirit, that Christ himself would dwell in our hearts through faith, and that we might be able to comprehend the length and the width, the height and the depth of God's love. 
that we would be able to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. That the love of Jesus, it surpasses our our knowledge, our ability to understand, but he's also praying that we might be able to understand it. And I would say that this is what everything hinges on for you and I. That we feel a void and we're looking for it. No matter what stage of relationships we're in, there's a void in our hearts that can only be filled by the love of God. Whether, whether we're single, whether we're dating, you're engaged, you're married, you're divorced, you're on your second marriage. It, it doesn't matter what your relationship status is. There's a love that you need to be able to comprehend. It's a love that you are looking for. No matter what you're chasing, there's a love that you're looking for. And until you find it, you won't be fulfilled. And Paul is he's talking to a church in a, in a city that is surrounded by paganism, by a booming business industry. The city of Ephesus was one of the great cities of its day, a trade center and commerce center uh, filled with all different cultures. I heard it described recently like the New York City of its day. And Paul is writing to them with all this busyness going on, with all the hecticness going on. You may look at them like just ancient people, but no, these are people like you and I. And in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't all that long ago. And these were people who were facing all the things that you're facing. And this is why the words still resonate with us, because we all are searching. And they're surrounded by all this stuff. Culture does things all these different ways. And Paul prays, man, I just pray that you would be able to understand how much God loves you. And I'm praying that you would be able to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. And, and, and I, would, I feel like behind that is a, it's a desire for you to not spend your whole life looking for something that's available to you right now. God doesn't want you to spend your entire life looking for something that's available to you right now. Available to you right now. And you can build a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. You can put stuff on your vision board. You can do all the things, planning and looking toward the future. But if you don't get this that's available to you right now, none of that is going to matter because you're going to chase those things and you may attain those things and still feel the rib missing. And it's, it's what we see all over the place with the people that we admire the most. I talk about this often not because I have a desire to knock anybody of influence 
But I do have a desire for us to not be blind or dumb. How many times do people have to tell us that the stuff we want doesn't satisfy? How many times are you going to look at a picture of somebody and want their lives and ignore their words that tell you that they're not happy? We will listen to people say they're not happy. We will watch people go through episodes of depression and anxiety and cycles of drug use and clear negativity and darkness in their lives and look at a picture of them and forget it all and want their life. We'll look at relationships on the internet. On the internet. And something in us rises up and wants what we see, even if we don't understand it. And I believe that this prayer that Paul prayed is as relevant today as it was then. It's as relevant to you and to me as it was to them. It was breathed out by the Spirit of God through Paul. This is Jesus breathing out his word through Paul's pen. This is Jesus inviting people to himself through his messenger. And he's still doing it today. So I want to pray. Father, I know that there are some things that can only be done by your spirit. There are some Levels of awareness that we can only come to by invitation of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would increase our awareness. Lord, I pray that you would do a powerful work in us right now. That you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Lord, would you work on the soil of our hearts? to be able to receive what you are wanting to plant, what you are wanting to nurture, what you are wanting to grow and cultivate in our lives. Lord, would you make space for truth in our hearts? Would you make space for truth in our lives? Lord, would you give us a desire for the good things? You said that it's your spirit that works in us to desire to please you. And it's your spirit that works in us that gives us power to please you. So God, I pray that in this time you would give us the desire to please you and the power to please you. Lord, I pray that we would experience the transformation that you desire, the repentance that you desire, the change of our thinking, the change of our understanding that you desire. That is what repentance means. It means to change our understanding. So, Lord, by your spirit, would you change our understanding right now? In Jesus' name, amen. Then Paul goes down in, in, in the next verse, verse 20 through 21. He says, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask 
or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He is, a lot of us have heard this verse and we, oh man, God is able to do more than we can ask or think. And so he can give me a better card than what I'm asking for. <laughs> it is not that God doesn't want you to have your physical needs met. I do believe that God enjoys blessing his children and meeting our desires. I think it's a, it's a pleasure that he has as our father. But if we limit him to that, we will miss out on what he's actually inviting us into. Paul says, I'm praying that you are able to understand his love. Then he says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than what we could ask or think. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. That he's not only wanting you to understand his love, but he's able to get you to understand his love. That he's able to do it. He's able to accomplish it. That if you say, Jesus, I want to understand your love. I want to be able to grasp the height, the width, the depth of your love. He's able to do it. He's able to do it in a way that's exceedingly more than you could even imagine. Got one person excited about that. But he's able to do more than what you could even ask. It doesn't matter what you've been through. Some of us are... are are under the weight of generations worth of pain and trauma and abuse and generations worth of deception, of skewed views of love. And so the ask for us to be able to understand the love of God when nobody in our family has understood it for the last 500 years is a big ask. But he's saying that he's able to do more than what you could ask or think or imagine. Now to him who is able, be glory in the church. He wants his church to know his love. He wants his church to know his love, that he loves you more than you can ask or think. There's another passage where Paul says, I'm convinced that there is nothing that could separate us from the love of God. I don't think there's any distance, that there's any height, that there's any depth, that there's any width, that there's any power in heaven or in hell that could separate me from the love of God. There is no attack that can come against my life that could separate me from the love of God. That's a love that's worth understanding. That's a love that's worth looking for. And that is a love that's worth pursuing. But it gets better because that's a love that's worth pursuing, but that love pursues you. His love pursues you. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting in life. And God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world because God so loved the world and God wants the world to know the height and the depth and the length and the width of his love. And he wants the world to know a love that surpasses knowledge. But there's a war going on. For our focus. And from the time you were a child, 
There's been a war going on for your understanding of love, for your desire for love, for your understanding of what it means to be loved and to love. There's been a war going on for you to not be able to access that love, to not be able to want that love, to not be able to know that love. But there is one who's able. There is one who is able to do far more, far more, far more, far more above and beyond all that we could ask or think. And he wants glory in his church and to Christ, to all generations. Do you know that what God wants to do in your life, that what God is doing in your life is not just about you, but God wants glory in your life and to the generations that are coming after you. And we could clap for it, but God wants us to live like it. Are you living like there are generations on the line? Like there are generations on the line. That, That deviation from the will of God, deviation from the love of God is not just about you, but it's about everybody who's coming after you. Because if you're supposed to be walking this way and you go this way, but there are people coming after you that you're leading this way, then it's about more than you. And so when Jesus says he wants glory in his church and to all generations, he wants you walking this way because he wants everybody coming after you to walk this way. And some of us have been told, some of us have been told that we only believe Christianity because it was our parents' religion. But can I tell you that's the wisdom of God? That you don't have to, that not every generation has to figure it out from scratch? And you'll agree, you'll agree if I say you should have generational wealth. But nobody talks about generational faith. And we'll attend seminars, and we'll attend courses, and we'll invest, and we'll do all this stuff with this promise of generational wealth. When the Bible tells us that moth and rust destroy, and thieves, they break in and steal, and there's no one that can guarantee that your money is going to go where you want it to go, but there is one who oversees it all that desires for faith to be passed down from your generation to the next generation to the next generation to the next generation, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua, the God of generation to generation to generation. And you're standing up and clapping right now because there are generations that are going to be standing up and clapping in church. After God is done with you. But there's a war for your focus. And there's an enemy that's been defeated from the dawn of time. And was made a spectacle of on a cross on Calvary where God nailed every one of our sins. Colossians 3 tells us that every one of our trespasses, every one of our sins, and all the legal demands that came along with it were nailed to the cross. 
And in doing that, he disarmed the powers and the authorities. That the cross of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus has disarmed the enemy. Do you know what it means to be disarmed? That means your weapons are taken away. That means you have nothing to fight with. Because it's sin, it's deviation from the will of God that the enemy is able to use against you. That's why he's trying so hard to get you to sin. Because it is the only access he has to you. And so, of course, he wants you to have sex outside of marriage. Of course, he wants you to steal and lie and deceive. Of course, he wants you to scam. Of course, he wants you to. Of course, he wants you to. Of course, he wants you to. Because every time you engage in that sin, he says, oh, that's a sin that has legal demands. This is why Colossians says that our trespasses, along with their legal demands, have been nailed to the cross. Each and every one of us. And there are some of us who are just letting it hang there and still engaging with sin and darkness and inviting the legal demands of those things and putting weapons back in the hands of the enemy who's been disarmed. But the cross of Jesus Christ has disarmed the devil. And when you understand that, you start to really get an understanding of the love of God. That no matter how much you've sinned, no matter how far you've gone against him, no matter how far you've gone from him, no matter what you've said about him, no matter how you felt about him, that he took all that stuff and nailed it to a cross 2,000 years ago and hung there and took your punishment and in doing so, made a public spectacle of the devil triumphing over him in broad daylight when the enemy thought that he was taking the life of the Son of God. He was actually giving you life. He was giving you life. And this is the love of God. And this is why it makes sense for Paul to say, I wish you could understand the height and the depth, the breadth, the width of the love of God who would hang on a cross for you just to disarm the devil, just to take every excuse away to judge you and to condemn you and to criticize you. And for all eternity, he would invite you with open arms because justice has been satisfied, sin has been paid for, deviation from the will of God has been redirected back on the straight path for you and for the generations that are coming after you. And if that's not something that's willing to give your life to, I don't know what is. If that's not something that's willing to teach your, that, that's good enough to teach your children, I don't know what is. Because mysticism won't do it. Manifestation won't do it. It won't do it. It won't satisfy. Those are things that are trying to take your focus off of the fact that the devil has been triumphed over. And everything that you need is found in Jesus Christ. If you go read Ephesians from the very beginning... 
It's all about in him, in him, in him, in Christ. He has chosen us in him. He has blessed us in him. He has seated us in him. In him we have an inheritance. In him, in him, in him, in Jesus, we have everything that we need. In Jesus, you have everything that you need. So then it makes sense why in chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, he would say, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Be imitators of God. This is where we found the title of our series, that instead of chasing an imitation of God, that you would become an imitation of God. That you wouldn't just believe in God, but that you would imitate God. There's no greater power to change a life than an example. Because we can talk. But words don't do what an example will do. Some of us, we want to talk about the love of God more than we want to live in it. And we want to talk about the grace of God more than we want to distribute it. And it's where our ability to be witnesses for Jesus is becoming inhibited. It's in our imitation of God that we really find power to help anybody. And Paul says, man, in light of all this, look at what he's done for you. Therefore, be imitators of God and walk in love. And then, and then he goes on to say this, which makes a lot more sense when you look at the context. But if I started here, there would have been all types of wrestling. There would have been maybe some disagreement. There would have been some challenges. It would have rubbed some of you the wrong way, and it still might. But the truth is that God is wanting to expose us to who he is. So then when he talks about our conduct, our conduct is just a small offering back to a God who's given us immeasurably more than what we could ask or think. And it makes sense that he would say, be imitators of God. And then he would say, verse 3 through 8, but sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable. Instead, Give thanks. For know and recognize this. Every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments. For God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And you 
we see him talking to the church in Ephesus, but it sounds like he could be talking to the church in Atlanta. <laughs> because these things are still so evident among us. And he says, in light of everything that God has done for you, give your life. Imitate him. Imitate his behavior. So if you're imitating God, there should not be even a hint of sexual immorality or impurity or greed. It shouldn't even be heard of among you. And, and, and the language used there it echoes all throughout the Old Testament where God tells Israel that the names of these false gods shouldn't even touch your lips, that they shouldn't even be mentioned by you, that these things shouldn't even be heard among you is what he's telling us in light of what God has done for us. And for some of you guys, that seems like so far from your reality. How could that even be your life? And I remember earnestly wanting to follow Jesus, but not seeing how this could actually be my life. Because I didn't know how to have relationships without all these things. I didn't know. But can I tell you that there's one who's able to do immeasurably more above and beyond all that we could ask or think or imagine. And I would have never been able to imagine that my understanding would grow to where it is now. That I would be able to see the world and see life and see all these things the way that I see them now because God has changed my mind and changed my thinking. And it's available for you. So this is the, this is the last piece that I want to talk about because I, I, I knew that God wanted me to share this piece tonight because this is a part that has a stronghold on so many of us, that God just wants to break off of your life. The world is telling you that sex is God. That's what the world is telling you, that your desire for sex is God, that your desire for sex defines you. But it doesn't. God is God. God created sex. God created you. And God defines you. And God supersedes the narrative that you understand right now. And this is why Paul would pray for understanding that we might be able to comprehend. So there are some things right now that you don't even comprehend, but God can change that. You, don't, you may not be able to comprehend how you could look at sex differently, how you could look at attraction differently, how you could look at sexuality differently, how you could look at marriage differently, how you could look at relationships differently, how you could get over the hurt that happened to you. You can't comprehend it, but there's one who is able to do immeasurably more and above and beyond all that you ask or think. And he's not asking you to change yourself as a response to him. He's asking you to respond to him and allow him to change you. Because he doesn't ask you to do anything that he's not willing to help you do, not willing to give you the power to do. This is why Jesus said, 
if any one of you who's, who's evil, if your child asks you for a loaf of bread, will you give them a stone? No, you're going to give them what they ask for. If you who are evil will do that for your child, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And, and I used to be frustrated by that verse. It used to bother me so much because I, I just wanted him to say that our Father would give us what we asked for. Your child asked for a loaf of bread. You wouldn't give him a stone. You're going to give him what he asked for. So, Jesus, you should say that when I ask for something, that God is going to give it to me. But he doesn't say that. He says, when you ask for the Holy Spirit, he'll give the Holy Spirit to you. And I didn't appreciate it a while ago. But now I know that that's the answer that I needed. Because I could ask for stuff all day. But stuff doesn't satisfy me. And, and I can ask for something different or a relationship or a material good. I could ask for those things and he could give those things to me. But he knew that that's not going to satisfy the void. That's not going to put the rib back in place. That's not going to make me feel what I'm, what I'm needing to feel. He knew that it's the Holy Spirit that would really be the gift because it's the Holy Spirit that speaks speaks to us. He speaks to us. He dwells within us. He'll speak to us. He'll lead us into all truth. He'll convict us of sin and show us what's going on in life, and he will redirect our path. He gives us power. He'll heal us. He'll change us. He will transform us from the inside out, and this is the gift of God. So it makes sense why he would say these things, even if you feel like they own you, they don't own you. I want us to look at what sexual immorality is. I have two definitions here. One, any sexual indulgence outside the permanent relationship of marriage between a man and a woman. Two, in circumstances where the sexual appetites are used merely as a means of pleasure without any sense of responsibility or care for the partner. It's immoral. It's an, it's an immoral way to engage in sex. To engage in sex outside the permanent relationship of marriage between a man and a woman that was designed in the Garden of Eden by God. In any instance where we are using sex as a means of pleasure without any sense of responsibility or care, that includes pornography. It's when we try to detach sex from responsibility, from covenant, from commitment, that it becomes perverted and it becomes abused. And the challenge is that most of us don't see it that way. That you and I, we could have totally different moralities behind sex, but God is telling us that he has a morality behind sex and that there is a huge toll that it takes on us when we step outside of that. Further, 
I have another quote surrounding this from the same commentary that I got this from. It says, immorality is uncleanness or impurity because purity means the control and direction of sexual powers and impulses in accordance with the law and purpose of God. To be pure means you control and direct your sexual powers in accordance with the law and purpose of God. Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit of God. Just like joy and peace and kindness and patience, self-control is evidence of the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And self-control is something you can pray for and receive. It's something that you can actually exercise and use. And God is saying, in light of all that he has provided for you, that there shouldn't even be a hint that you are lacking control in this area. And that sounds like a tall order. That sounds insurmountable, especially with the culture that you live in. Because the culture you live in, everywhere you turn, treats sex like a snack. Like it's nothing. You get it from anywhere, at any time, in any shape or form, and it doesn't matter. But that's not the perspective of God. And, and I have trouble believing in the ideals and the morality of a society that is constantly devolving and constantly going down in health. And so at the same time, that this cry for sexual liberty is rising, so is the cry for us to be mentally healthy. There's a cry for us to be liberated, for us to put no boundaries on sex. And there's also a cry that we have to talk about how anxious we are, how depressed we are, how unhealthy we are mentally. And, and I would say... That because the kingdom of God is about healing and wholeness, that this is why any attack against health and healing and wholeness should not even be mentioned among the culture of God. This is why any act that would draw away from health and healing and wholeness should not even be a part of the culture and the community of God. Because God wants us to be healthy and he wants us to be whole. And the deception that's coming at us is, there's, is we're, we're, we're being told that we cannot be healthy if we are not sexually liberated. And yet the more we become sexually liberated, the less healthy we become. And so let God be true and every man be a liar. His word is still true. And, and this was a key focus for tonight because whether we realize it or not, a lot of our actions are rooted in sexual immorality because we're steeped. Our culture is steeped in it. You know like a tea bag is steeped in water? Our culture is steeped in sexual immorality. And so it, it infiltrates and affects so much. It infiltrates and affects the type of person that we're attracted to. It infiltrates and affects the means by which we attract people. 
Because we can be saints and lovers of God and still have a desire to appeal to the sex drive in a partner before we do to the spirit of a partner because of the culture we are steeped in. But this is a hint of sexual immorality. And this is why he says that not even a hint should be among you. Not this idea of like, well, I'm going to take a few steps back from the line. No, erase the line. Get rid of it. Don't even, don't even venture into that area. There shouldn't even be a hint. Sometimes it affects the things you expect in your dating relationship because sexual immorality still has a hold. Even though you may love Jesus, sexual immorality could still have a hold on the way you see things because your mind has not been renewed in that area yet. It can affect the things you expect in your marriage. Some of us think we're gonna step into marriage and all of our immorality goes out the window. No, you can bring your immorality right into marriage. You can bring your pornography addiction right into marriage. You can bring your desire and lust for other people right into your marriage. It can affect the types of conversations you want to have. It can infiltrate in all these different ways. The things that we want to have around can be impacted by sexual immorality. And I believe this is something that God wants to remove from his people because it's not good for us. And he loves us too much. He didn't die for us to be saved from this stuff just so we'd play around with a little bit of it. He wanted to remove it from us. He didn't want to remove sex from us. He wanted to remove sexual immorality from us. Improper use, improper perspective, and abuse. And so I want to close here. Uh, There was a term that kept coming to my mind yesterday, and it was this idea of cognitive dissonance. And I didn't know why it was coming to my mind. Some people say, ooh, I guess y'all already know what it means. Um, I didn't really have a full grasp of what it meant. It's like a term I had heard before, but I didn't really know fully what it meant, but I felt like God was like leading me to lean into it a little bit for today. And, and here's what I found. Cognitive dissonance, it is a psychological term, and it refers to having like conflicting ideas panning out in your life. Inconsistent thoughts or actions or behaviors, it, it's when, when you think one thing, but you also kind of think another thing, And so then your behaviors start contradicting some of the things that you believe. And then there's a discomfort that arises from it called dissonance. So it's not just the difference between your beliefs and your actions, but it's the discomfort that arises from it, that none of us are actually okay when that happens. And this is why I talked about early on that that for some reason a long time ago we will feel we felt a greater sense of right and wrong but somehow we've learned to live with the fact that in many ways we've gone against the things that we know are right 
There are things that you and I do that we know are wrong, and we found a way to be comfortable doing it. But we know it's wrong. And you may feel like you're okay, but you're not. That psychology says you're not okay. And inevitably, you will find ways to comfort yourself, like justifying it with things that aren't necessarily reality. An example of this is like, you know smoking is bad for you, but you do it anyway. And after a while, what do you do when you've seen all the ads and you heard all the things that smoking is bad for you? But you are addicted and you do it anyway, and you have to find a way to live in this tension. So what do you do? What you, you may come up with an excuse and say, well, I, I, I do it because of this. And, 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 and something in you is telling you that that makes it okay, but it's still not okay to you. And so in the same way, some of us, we know that there's been sexual immorality in our lives. And we know it's wrong. And we know it's wrong, but we do it anyway. And there's a dissonance. And we're trying to shut it up. And we're trying to stuff it down. And we're trying to convince ourselves that it's fine, but it's, but it's expressing itself in stuff like anxiety that I can't explain. Depression I can't explain. Discomfort I can't explain. And could it be that our society is having a mental health crisis because humanity is not made to walk around with cognitive dissonance, that there's something inside of us? Romans 1 tells us that each and every single person, we, we have an innate sense of the divine. We have an innate sense of right and wrong that God has, has exposed himself and revealed to himself to us in nature And we know that he exists and we know his righteous decree. We know what's right. We know what's wrong in many ways. And we've chosen to go down this path. And we've convinced ourselves that we're okay. But we're not. And it's expressing itself in all kinds of ways. And we're trying to track it down. We're trying to medicate it. We're trying to figure out what to do about it. But the only answer, the only place we can find an answer is the same place that Adam could find where his rib went. It's only found in God. And so I want us all to stand to our feet. Band, you guys can come out. And I've presented a lot of things to you guys tonight, but the only answer to any tension you are feeling in your heart or in your mind. The only answer is you have to at some point know how to get before God. It's the only answer. I could, I could give you steps. I could give you stuff. I could give you... It, it's the presence of God that you need. It, it's the same thing that Adam needed to figure out where his rib went. He needed God to show up and present something to him. And I believe that you need God himself to show up and present something to you, that there are things that
that you've been trying to navigate. There are things that have risen up in you. There are things that you're trying to figure out that you don't fully understand. There's, there's, there's a love that you're looking for and don't know exactly how to find it. You don't even know why you don't want it. But there's, there's something stirring on the inside of you that says, I feel the dissonance. I feel the discomfort. I feel like I need to be whole and I'm not. And I may have been searching for it in other places, but I'm willing to give Jesus an opportunity to reveal himself to me. That's what you need. The, the answers to all this stuff, the answers to sin and shame, the answers to pain and trauma, I don't have them for you. But Jesus does. Jesus does. For me, the, the answers to why I responded to things that I did when I was younger, the, the answers to why I had the mindset that I had, why I chased the things that I chased, I didn't just have the answers. Jesus had them and has them. And he is the only source of comfort, true comfort that I've found. And I know, I may not know everything, but I know how to get to God. I don't need to drive somewhere. I don't need to fly somewhere. I don't need to go find another revival. I know how to start one in my own heart. Because the same God who fell on the day of Pentecost the same God who has started every great awakening and every great revival, the same God who stirs in churches around the world, who's stirring in the underground church in China, who's stirring in churches in South America, who's stirring in churches and college campuses across America, the same God who was stirring in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, the same God who appeared in a burning bush, the same God who appeared to Jacob with a, as a ladder with angels descending and ascending. The same God who appeared to announce the birth of Samson, the same God who has been showing up to people throughout the ages and throughout the generations will show up to you and I. He's the God who's stirring on your heart right now. He's the God who invites you to pray the God who invites you to seek him, who says, you, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And I just know that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter the dissonance you've felt, no matter the sin that you've experienced, no matter what you've decided to do in the past, no matter what your views on God have been, that he's available for you today. I know that he's available for you today. And so I know that there are many of you in here who just need to make a decision to get God. Now, I would put it in a more eloquent way than that, but I don't think that there's a more straightforward way to put it than you need to get God. Like 
really get him. No more excuses, no more doubts, no more accusations against his character, no more telling him he didn't show up or he won't show up or he didn't come through. You need to get God. He's available for you right now. And there is no time like the present. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. So what about today? What about right now? What about inviting him to help you to comprehend his love today? To comprehend his love right now? To hear his voice right now? To experience his power right now? What about now? What about not later? What about right now? What about right online, watching in your living room? What about right now? If you're saying, I want God to show up in my life in a powerful way, to change me, to transform me, I want to invite him into my life. I want you to step out of your seat and to come down here so that I can pray for you. That's the invitation. That's the invitation. Some of you guys are clapping when you should be walking. Some of you guys are clapping when you should be walking. Some of you guys are celebrating somebody else's decision when you need to make your own. What about now? What about now? What about right now? Not later, not, not you listening to me pray for other people. What about now for you? What about a change of direction, a change of heart for you? This wasn't salvation call alone. This isn't just an altar call. This is just an altar call. This is a, I need to get God right now. So you're welcome to still walk as I'm praying. But I want everyone who wants to receive this, if you're watching online and you can't walk down, that's okay, you can receive this. Anyone who wants to receive this, I just want you to posture yourself to receive. Just to receive. It may be that your hands are up. It may be that your hands are lifted. It may be whatever it is, the posture of humility. Father, I pray that you would do what only you could do in this moment. Lord, you know everything that's going on in each of these people's lives. God, you know their heart's desires. You know their anxious thoughts. Lord, you know their thoughts from afar, your word says. You know when they rise and when they sit. You know everything that's going on with them. Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit 
to show them right now who you are in their lives. Lord, I pray that they would have a tangible sense of who you are and what you are capable of. Lord, I pray that you would show them the things that they need to turn away from, God. I pray that there would be a deep stirring for repentance in their hearts, God. A stirring of repentance. Repentance is just the changing of your mind, the changing of your thinking. And God, I pray that you would awaken them in their hearts, awaken them in their minds. Lord, give them a different perspective, Lord. I pray that you would help them to see sin the way that you see sin, Lord. But I pray that you would help them to see your love the way that you see your love. God, I pray that you would help them to see the ways that you've been chasing them down pursuing them, protecting them. Lord, the ways that you've been a hedge around them. God, the ways that you've been fighting on their behalf. Lord, the ways that you've been wooing them and drawing them to you, God. Lord, I pray that you would show them your goodness. I pray that you would help them to see your goodness, God. Lord, I pray that they would sense your presence right now. And Lord, I pray that you would help them to come to a clear decision to just let go of the past to turn away from the past and to turn towards you Lord you 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 breathed out through Paul when he said one thing I know one thing I do forgetting what is behind and pressing forward toward what is ahead, to the upward call of Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that there would be a deep stirring by your Holy Spirit for us all to press toward the upward call of Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you came for us, that your love for us is deep. I thank you that you so love the world, Father, that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to put on human flesh, God, not to condemn the world, but to save the world, God, and that by him you have saved the world. Lord, by him our sins are forgiven. Lord, I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord, that has disarmed every power and authority, God, that has disarmed and triumphed over the kingdom of darkness. God, I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that has triumphed over depression that has triumphed over anxiety, that has triumphed over sickness, that has triumphed over death. God, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes us clean, cleanses us from the inside out. The holy, spotless, blameless Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world, slain from the foundations of the world. God, I thank you for your redemption plan for all of eternity. Father, I thank you for every single person in here who did not know you, who wants to know you. Lord, I pray that there would be a holy stirring in their hearts to just abandon their old life and to run towards you with reckless abandon, God, with fire in their hearts, God, running towards you receiving your warm embrace. If that's you right now, if you are in here and you did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, 
and you want a relationship with Jesus, not a new religion. You want a relationship with Jesus. You want his Holy Spirit. You want to die to your old way of doing life. You want to die to your old sins and your old patterns, every generational curse and every generational stronghold. If you want those things to die and be buried, if you want to be raised to new life in Christ Jesus and have a relationship with the one true God, I just want you to lift your hands high in the air so that I can pray for you. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I believe that you have paid the price for my sins, that you have shown me your love. And so I repent of all of my sins. I invite you to change my mind. I receive your forgiveness. I invite you to wash me clean and to make me new. I'm going to make you the Lord of my life, the master of my life. And I will follow you forever and walk in your love. I give you my everything forever. I receive your eternal life. And I invite you to take residence in me, to give me your Holy Spirit. I will be baptized in water. And I invite you to baptize me with your Holy Spirit and with fire. In Jesus' name. And for everyone else in here, we need to understand that John the Baptist described Jesus Christ in this way. He said, there's one that's coming that will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And some of us, we don't know what that means, but it means that he would submerge you in his tangible spirit. He will immerse you in his presence, cover you and clothe you with power by his spirit. And then it says that he will baptize you with fire. And you know what fire does? Fire completely consumes. Fire completely cleanses. There is nothing that can stand in fire except for pure things like gold. It is only pure gold that stands the test of fire. And every impurity and every uncleanness, everything that is unclean gets consumed by fire. And this is why Jesus Christ baptizes with fire. It is the gift of God. And so if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the fire of God, I just want you to lift your hands. This is something that you have to actually want. This isn't something that you just lift your hands just to lift your hands. This is something that you need to lift your hands because you want it and it is granted by faith. So, Father, I thank you that this is just a work that you do. This is a work that you do. So, Jesus Christ, I pray that you would make yourself known, Lord. I thank you that you baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire, God. And I pray for each and every single person who is wanting to receive you, Lord, I pray that you would come upon them, Lord, that you would baptize them with your Holy Spirit and with the fire of God. 
Lord, I pray that for every person who has been struggling with sin and with strongholds, with demonic oppression, I pray that it would be consumed by the fire of God right now and purged from their lives. God, I pray for every person who's been attacked in their sleep, attacked in their waking hours, attacked in their minds. Lord, I pray for it to be consumed right now by the fire of God. Lord, I thank you that the blood of Jesus has triumphed, Lord, over the enemy, has made a spectacle of the kingdom of darkness and has disarmed the powers and authorities. So disarm every power right now in the name of Jesus by your fire and by your spirit. Lord, I pray for spirits to be lifted right now, God. Lord, I pray for people to be encouraged right now, Lord. I pray for people to have a tangible expression of your Holy Spirit. For those who desire to speak in tongues, God, I pray that they would speak in tongues. Lord, that they would pray in the spirit as much as they pray in the natural. God, I pray for supernatural prayer languages to be deposited right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for healing to go forth right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for new life in their bodies, new life in their minds. Lord, I pray for you to do a powerful work. You are why we're here, God. If you're not real, if you don't really do this, we have no reason to be here. And so, Jesus, I just pray that you would honor your word. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in our hearts as it is in heaven, in our homes as it is in heaven, in our relationships as it is in heaven. I pray for every every person who's been struggling with a stronghold that has kept them in bondage to unhealthy relationships. God, I pray for it to be broken right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for people who did not have power to say no, to have power right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, to have power to say no to have power to say yes to you, to, say po- to have power to obey you and to do what pleases you, God. And Lord, I pray that we would all be strengthened in our innermost being with power from your spirit. God, I pray that we would be able to comprehend the depth, the width, the height of your love. And I pray that we would know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. Now to you who is able, to you who is able, to you who is able to do immeasurably more above and beyond all that we can ask and think, God. To you be glory, to you be honor, to you be praise. In your church and in Christ, to all generations, forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
that God is doing a work in us. I don't want this to just be a moment. I don't want this to be a moment that you came down to an altar that's stolen from you when you leave here. I don't want this to get snatched away from you. I'm praying that this would be a deep work that God is doing. I'm praying that you would know that you're not bound to anything but righteousness. That the Son has set us free. And who the Son of God sets free is free indeed. You are not bound. But it does require a choice on your part. So many of you, I really do believe that you were baptized, submerged in the spirit of God, submerged in the fire of God. But it also requires that we walk in it. That we walk in it. So I encourage you to walk in it, to lean into God, to pray, to open the Bible, to make the space in your life for God to move, for God to teach you. The Holy Spirit will teach you what you need to know when you make space for his word, make space for community, make space for worship, make space for his presence. And he'll sustain you. He who began a good work in you is faithful to see it through to completion. He is the author, he's the initiator, and he is the perfecter of our faith. He doesn't just start something and leave it. He starts and perfects it and sees it through to completion. And that's what he wants to do in each and every one of your lives. And I can't say this enough. Anything that God wants to do in here, God wants to do through you. Anything God wants to do in here, he wants to do through you. This room needs to be full of your friends, of your family, of the people you're meeting. Because that's how God wants to work. Not through an ad on Instagram. He wants to use your life as an advertisement. So I want to pray one last blessing over us, and then I'm going to invite Jess to just come up and close us out. Father, I pray that you would seal everything that's been done today, that you would seal the work, God. We need you. We need you. We need you, Lord. You are the only answer. So, God, I pray that every person who came down and and has desired to get to know you, Lord, Lord, I pray that you will lead them in how to do it consistently. Lord, I pray that the posture that they've taken at this altar will be the posture of their hearts daily, God. Lord, I pray that they will approach you tomorrow the way they approached you tonight. And I know, I know that as they seek you, they will find you. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would encourage each and every one of us. Lord, that you would encourage us, Lord, that you would bear fruit in our lives and that ultimately you would just help us to remain in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.